Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Rob Finuff. And I'm Jeremy Duvall. We're back again, uh, me and Rob, for a little fireside chat. Every now and then, Rob and I like to just get on and do sort of a more free-flow, free-forming episode where we just talk about what we're working on, what we're watching, uh, a little a la Unplugged Radio-esque of kind of stuff that we're into. This show, we're also kind of kind of circle back after we do that, and we're going to talk about a post that Rob put up on the Countercharge Facebook page a couple days ago talking about kind of in lieu of uh, uh, boogeymen in the room and everything that's going on. We kind of wanted to refocus our community and talk a little bit about, you know, what brought you to Kings of War, why we love Kings of War, Really, like, why is it such a great game? Why is it such a great community? And we had a post on our Facebook page that really, I know we were all really excited with with how many responses. It's closing in on 100 responses. And, I, and I'm going to say, they're, like, very well thought out, articulate. Like, I, there's not a lot of, like, you know, with me and DMs where I just give you the thumb. I didn't see a lot of thumbs. And Rob is famous. If, you, if you've ever chatted with Rob, he is infamous for uh, the thumb. That's like an acknowledgement that I saw it without giving you a real answer or a real response. So that's basically what we're going to do tonight. We're just going to kind of uh, have a little kind of chat, fill you guys in, listeners, on what we're up to, what we're excited about, and then just take some time to be appreciative and thankful for this awesome game uh, that, you know, in spite of its of its sometimes flaws, we all really, really love. So I know uh, it is uh, really a hot, hot time for hobby right now, Rob. After Dark has just been absolutely jamming. Yeah, and I haven't even been on, which is crazy because I literally have been hobbying every single day. But, yeah, I need to get on there. The other night we had Jake. We had Greg Persons. We've had Chuck from Texas, uh, a couple new people, and just Rashad, and then myself, and Felix, of course, as always. Ryan Smith was back on After Dark after a long hiatus the other night, which was really nice. Yeah, so I think Masters is on the horizon, right? A lot of third edition tournament season is going to be kind of picking up steam so people are really focusing on getting those uh third edition army projects going so after dark again shameless plug it's uh, uh, been going really really well you know and i really want to give rashad a shout out he's been kind of uh uh uh, posting on uh, Facebook when we're getting on. He's the standard bearer for the whole thing. He really has, you know, um, with Kevin taking a break from, from work and with Felix, you know, uh, being busy with life and stuff, he still tries to get on. But Rashad has really kind of helped become a champion for getting people organized uh, to come on After Dark. So uh, thanks. You know, we even had uh, uh, Mark came on and painted for five minutes until he fell asleep and was snoring so loud we had to uh, yell. That's we fantastic. Like, it That's was awesome. hilarious. He was like, uh, and we were like, Mark, Mark. And he's all like, fantastic. Okay, guys, I got to go to bed. But um, yeah, it was pretty fun. <laughs> That's um, awesome. That's awesome. So since you haven't been on After Dark, mm. Rob, I don't know what you're doing hobby-wise. So what have you been up to? Yeah. So I'm doing all kinds of stuff. Um, I think I may have mentioned in an episode, or maybe I haven't, or maybe I posted somewhere. I'm actually playing in the doubles event at Adepticon with Jeff Swan. So... 
it's it's go time for the kingdoms of Halfman. I am feverishly painting some of those guys up, and I'm having a great time because I I took like maybe like nine months or six months. It was a pretty long break where I was kind of like doing other stuff, and so uh, the first thing I did was I painted up a regiment of knights. Uh, so happy with the way they came out there. Basically, I used the Westphalia Winged Hussar Halfman Knights. And uh, what was cool is I had already, I've got a bunch of the bases already built and already painted and everything. So I'm, cause, and I'll talk about this in a minute, but I'm trying something different, which is I, I'm, I'm, the bases are done. And then I'm painting the models in small batches and then putting them on the base painting another small batch and putting them on the base. And so um, I've got eight winged hussars, like kind of cresting this hill and I'll have to post some pictures, but the winged hussar models are great. It's a little bit interesting in that they're all the exact same pose, but what I found was by angling the lance a little bit differently, you could kind of, you know, you can, you can mix it up a little bit and I actually did a conversion on uh, one of them, actually two of them to kind of like, I, I put like a, uh, like a Spartan crest, um, it, it was some kind of bit that I had bought to do Warriors of Chaos like 20 years ago, and I pulled the bit, pulled it out of the box and made it work. And, and I got another one where he's got a sword drawn. So I, 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 it's pretty cool. I really like it. It's it's basically like a cliff edge, and you see these guys cresting the hill right up right at the precipice of the cliff. And um, I'm really excited. Uh, I've got all the all those guys are painted, and now I have to just go back and um, add the texture of the grasses and stuff. And I am working on that too. I painted up a couple blank bases or empty bases and I've been playing with different color grasses and stuff because the stuff I've shown before really I just had like a few tufts but my intention is to really make it more like um if you've ever seen the hobbit that first in the first move the first hobbit movie where they're being chased by the the orcs and they end up in that little cave and then the, the elves come and save them that that new zealand wilderness that landscape that's what I'm trying to recreate um obviously with cliff backgrounds, you know, with a mountain on the edge of a mountain, but like the grass and the weeds and all that stuff. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to replicate. So that unit's done. Took me a long time because you may or may not remember, but I, I pinstriped the, the lances and stuff. And so the guys took a long time, but super happy with the way they came out and the wings look awesome. Um, so those guys are done except for the texture. And now I have switched over to my, <laughs> the next thing, which is really going to be a big project, which is the, the pike. And so I have the, the, the base is done. Um, and if you haven't seen it, probably haven't seen it. I don't know if I've posted a picture of it or not, but basically there's a mine on the back. So when you flip the unit around, there's actually like a diorama scene built into the base from the backside. Oh, wow. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. So there's like a miner in there and he's chipping away at the wall. And, um, so I've got a couple like peasant halflings that I've converted up to have like shovels and pickaxes. Um, but on the front is a horde of pike. You know me. I don't just grab a model. And paint a model. So what do I do? So I took the Westphalia Spearmen. Specifically, these are the the, the ones from the, the what he called the first breakfast. So they're um, kind of medium armor is the best way to describe it. They're not like the uh, the big poofy shirt Spearmen that I already have painted. It's, it's uh, more heavily armored than that. Um, and I cut all their spears off and I lengthened all their spears to like five centimeters to actually make proper pike which um, I don't recommend to anybody to do that because it was a real pain in the butt. And um, because of the way the hand is uh, sculpted and the size of the hand, remember these are halfling, uh, I couldn't really pin it because I, even like a 132nd pin was going to be too big. 
So I ended up just like literally uh, getting uh, polystyrene rod. You know, I think it's Evergreen Scenics Plastics. I think it's the name of the company. Cut it to the length and I basically tried to match it up. So I kept the bottom half of the spear that's under their hand. And then I created a top half, if that makes sense. That makes sense, Jeremy, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I just added the, the actual spear point. Uh, to the tip of the uh, the shaft. Um, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, a lot of people like to do that. I know um, Kevin Von Felt would uh, did um, where he he would cut the spears and then put a little magnet so that the spear would touch a magnet in the hand so that basically you're trying not to have plastic spears break. Yeah. So I think a lot of people are people have done brass rod, right? For spears, so there's lots of interesting, cool ways you can do if you're trying to either convert or, or make pikes or however you want to do it. There's some interesting stuff you can do. I actually did a Bretonian army way in the back in the day, where I literally took the cheap fifth edition plastic bowmen, cut off their bow, drilled a hole in their hand, put a small like one thirty second brass pin, and then put brass tubing one uh, sixteenth of an inch uh, on the top and the bottom of the hand to make to make basically spears out of it. That was like probably the most painful thing I've ever done in my life. I mean, cause I, you know, I'm using like a, a, a tube cutter, right? Like you go to the craft store or Michael's or Hobby Lobby, you can buy um, actually like a little miniature pipe cutter and then sitting there and cutting it and stuff. It's like, ah, so in this one, the hands of the halflings are so small. Like I said, I, I, I couldn't get the pin to fit in there Two, the bottom half of the shaft in some of the models is kind of tied into the leg. So it really was very problematic to try to go that route. Um, the idea of a magnet I did think about, but um, number one, the hand is pretty small. But number two, the base is so tall, it's actually the same. The backdrop, the mountain that, that goes behind him is, is the same height as the pike. So like, I'm not as concerned because I have literally have like a giant handle built into the base. I can grab where, like, where the mine shaft is and I can pick up the base if that makes sense. So hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Six months from now, if they're all broken, <laughs> I should have done something different. But so back in the day, I, I did. I was working on an abyssal army, and I had a custom-made bases, and then cast them in resin, and then I created all the. These were lower abyssals, and I pinned them to a spot on the base. But what I found was when I take it out, take the guys off to paint, putting them back, trying to find the hole, super difficult. So what I decided to do with this pike unit was, I got all the guys built. And I used poster putty to basically put the guys on the base where I wanted them to be. And then I grabbed three or four guys that all had the same exact pose, removed them from the base, painted them, you know, clipped the tab off their feet, got them uh, sprayed with doll coat, and then glued them back to the base in the spot that, that I had already marked for them. And then I grabbed the next three or four guys. And that's what I'm doing. It's a little bit more time consuming, but I spent a lot of time specifically figuring out where I wanted the guys to stand so that I could intermix. Cause there's about maybe seven or eight sculpts and I don't want like the same sculpt standing. Does that make sense? I want to make it look dynamic. Yeah. And often I know that like what I'm guilty of Rob is I'm so, I want to feel like I'm making progress so badly that as I finish guys and I can't assembly line, I paint maybe one or two or three guys at a time. And when I finish them, I want to glue them onto the base because I want to feel that sense of accomplishment. But then you run into that issue where halfway through basing a unit, you're like, am I going to have enough space? Are they going to like look right? Or Right. And my concern is if I pull them all off the base and then trying to – and I actually did that with, with the, uh, the knights. I pulled them all off the base and I had a picture. But then trying to get it to match right where I wanted it to go was difficult. Well, now I got 40 dudes, 38 dudes on this base. 
that was going to be a lot tougher. So literally, like I'm, I'm, I've got the unit. They're all on the base, and I'm pulling a few off, painting them, putting them back, pulling a few off, painting them, and putting them back. And I know it's going to take a lot longer to do that, but I'm going to be happier with the result, I think. So depending on the guy or the Pike guy, some of them have like um, that old Empire style shirt or a hat. And so there's a lot of, you know, it's, and for those that haven't seen, it's white and teal, right? So, or white and ocean blue kind of color. And white is a, it's a, it's a to paint, right? So it's taken me, you know, maybe if on a good day, I, I might be able to paint a guy in like two and a half, three hours. And so it's taking me a long time, but I'll get there. I've got till March, so I'll get there. Um, and then after that, I've got to do, um, there's a couple other pieces. And then on top of all that, I actually, at Black Friday, I bought a, finally, I've been talking about it, and I finally said, I'm doing it. So I bought the uh, the Hippogriff from Atlantis Miniatures. It's a sweet model. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's it's a sweet model. Yeah, no, it's really cool. And uh, huge thanks to Kawe. He, I mean, he, he he's a great guy. And so I have a plethora of winged hussars. And so I was able to convert a winged hussar to ride the Hippogriff. Essentially what I did was, uh, the way the model is the way the winged hussar is, it's all built into the goat. So I cut the goat off, and with a Dremel, I basically removed the goat in between the legs, if that makes sense. Uh, it was a slow and painful process, but I, I was able to do that. And then heated up the model, because it is resin, heated it up in water, and I was actually able to bend the legs out a little bit. And actually, using that trick, I was actually able to get it to fit exactly where I wanted it on the hippogriff. Uh, and so I'm in the process of... I've, that, that guy is built... I'm just I'm just not gonna paint him yet because I know that's gonna be a real time sink and I don't really I don't need that for Adepticon. But after I do the pike, I think I'm gonna do an artillery piece, uh, and then I'm gonna do an assassin character model, and then I guess it's been about two or three weeks. Billy got you know how Billy does, or we all do. He decided that we should play some other games, <laughs> or at least dabble, and so he said, "Hey, I, I want to play that uh, Lord of the Rings Battle Companies game." From what I understand, we haven't played it yet. Uh, it's a scaled-down version of Lord of the Rings. You play with a smaller, like, faction, battle group. And so I said, okay, no problem. And then, because I'm a hoarder, I went down in my stash, and I pulled out the... Uh, the, the uh, somebody had sold me or given me uh, the Hobbit Town, the Goblin Town box set, you know what I'm talking about? Was that the one with for the... Uh Hobbit miniature game, oh, and that's the one that has like the troll king in it. Yeah, it's got the I goblin king. It's got a, yep. it's got like fifty goblins. It's got the the company with Thorn and all that. So I was like, well, okay, cool, we'll do this. But I'm gonna play goblins because I already have all the goblins. So I got all the goblins out, and and I will say the GW models are expensive, but they are a pleasure to put together. Right? I mean, these are like mostly one. In fact, I think they're all one piece. And I even noticed one little detail that that I hadn't seen before is on the tab because these actually slot into a tab on the, on the base. There's actually like a little a little raised peg, if you will, on the side of the on the side of the, the tab, so that when you slide it into the base, it kind of clicks, which I think is really cool. And one other thing I really like is on their bases, they actually put the gate where the injection mold plastic comes in on the top surface instead of the side. So, because you know, back in the day when we had those square ones, they would come in like a a, a sprue of like four, and you'd have to clip the side and you'd have to clean it up. Well, where they put this injection mold point, it was perfect. It just gets covered up with texture. So I am uh, in the process of doing those as well. And for those, I'm going with um, contrast paint. So I'm just going to basically spray them, you know, gray or gray, 
I'm going to use a mag, I don't know the exact color, but there's a, there's a purple contrast paint. And then I'll go back in and paint the, like the, the bone weapons and stuff like that. So yeah, hobby wise, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm all in dude. I'm back. I'm back at full force, but uh, what's weird is I haven't really been jumping in with, with the, uh, after work with you guys I need to, cause I mean, I'm painting every day. So, but what about you? You've been, you've been active, right? I've been really busy, uh, you know, getting ready for uh, masters, a list are due on February 1st. So I've been kind of, um, seeing how much I can do in January and then come February 1st, I would, uh, I'll know sort of where I'm at. My ideal best case scenario is um, I'd like – I'm finishing my night regiment tonight. Thank the Lord in heaven and peace of Jesus. I'm finally done with this uh, unit. I'm really, really, really happy with how it came out. Um, I definitely feel like uh, I've hit that intermediate good painting level, like nowhere near the Austin Kerrigans, Ryan Smiths, all that stuff. But I'm starting to hit that level, Rob, where I'm feeling like I'm just beginning to kind of figure out what my paint style is. Beyond just like painting it, I'm beginning to kind of identify, okay, I like this type of contrast or this type of technique or just beginning to kind of develop a, a style that I like. Uh, so that's been really good. I think this is a, a really – I'm really happy with how this unit's turning out. So going to finish those uh, tonight. Next on the list is I'm doing – and for for those who are, are new or haven't heard, I'm using the um, – Fireforged Fantasy Knights, and I'm I'm doing a head swap. I got some female. Um, they do metal heads, uh, not metal like rock metal, like they're metal. Uh, fantasy heads from it's called statuesque miniatures. And for pe- people who don't know, the sort of the theme of my Basilean army is that it's a uh, monastery slash paladin order that is all female. Because after the uh, the abyss sort of rose in the uh, uh, campaign. Uh, this faction decided that men are too easily swayed by the lusts of the abyss. So it's besides like Nias and maybe like one other male character, it's kind of all converted female models. So my knights are the Fireforged knights, Rob, which are a little smaller in stature than they're like t- true 25 as opposed to like historic or heroic scale. But it works really well for female bodies because they're a little slight. Uh, slender so i have those and then i have statuesque miniatures female heads um and then i have some bits from cyborg they do like i'm doing sort of like a lion Stormwind, world of warcraft-esque sort of uh feel for my army so i have lots of uh really cool lion iconography so that, those are my knights and then next on the list i've done my test model already completed and i have the rest all base base coded almost is my two units of ogre palace guard and for them i'm using um female stormcast so i found all of the sort of female torsos for the stormcast and i'm using um those uh for my ogre palace guard and then after I finish that, really what I'd like to do, Rob, is I really want to have two troops of infantry in my master's list. I need it for chaff. I need it for drops. I just really I really want to have that. So what, that's what? Um, 12 models because I'm doing old school minimum model count, especially on this boutique army. On many of my bases, I don't even have the room for it. So I think PMC or full model count will be my Mantic army. I'll, I'll try to do that way. But the Basilians are still following MMC and the rule of cool. So uh, ideally, I would like to get through my knights, 
get through the ogre pa- uh, palace guard, and then I would have to paint six or 12 infantry guys in the month of February. So I think that that's doable, but it's just a challenge, right, when you have to submit your uh, list before the tournament, right, when you're still painting. Yeah, you got like uh, a month to go, and you're like, well, I guess I'm committed at this point. Yeah, so maybe I need that. You know, I thought about maybe I need to submit the list with the infantry in it, and that will force me to to paint. Um, but I played Ryan Munsell with this list last night on UB. I've been getting a lot of UB games in, and it did okay. Um Whereas without the extra pieces of chaff, I just don't have um, – I just can't deliver the Ogre Palace Guard like I need to or have stuff that can sit on objectives or – so, um, yeah. So that's the goal with the Bass Lands is finishing up the Knights tonight, uh, going right into the Ogre Palace Guard. And then, Rob, for my infantry, I did the Shield Wolf miniatures. They did a Sisters of Teleria Kickstarter that um, it's all female heavy armor paladin guys. So what I think I'm going to do is I'd like to use them for all my infantry. So what I think I'm going to do is they come with um, lots of different weapon options and either a helmeted head or not a helmeted head. So for my paladin foot guard, they're defense five, right? I'm going to have them all have the helmeted head. So there's going to be no um, non-helmeted head. And then they're all going to have hammers because I like the idea of like paladins wielding battle hammers. And then for my men at arms, men at arms come in spearmen or swordsmen. I think I'm going to build them in units with in the unit. Some models are going to have spears and some are going to have swords. So I could play them as either, Mm. you know, that that way I don't I'm not making like a horde of sword and board. And then I'm also making a horde of spearmen. I just. I just don't I, – I paint too slow. I just can't paint that much infantry. So I'm thinking of doing that using the hammers and the helmets to differentiate the defense five guys. And mm-hmm. then the other ones will be a mixture of helmets and not helmets. And then they'll just have swords and spears and kind of miscellaneous hand weapons. That seems like functional kind of a good way to go. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I think it's great. I, You know, I, I'm a big fan of like using those little touches to differentiate the units – it gives like a narrative flavor, right? So you're like, oh, these are my my ha- my hammer unit, and I've got hammers on these guys, or these are the guys that all have the hoods because they're in this. You know, you can write a little background story, and you can give that unit some real nice customization um, to say, you know, why you've modeled them the way you have. And then, obviously, functionally on the table, it's good if you got two of the same. Like, if you have two units, they're basically the same, but they look a little different. It's easier to tell them apart for you and your opponent. And especially since I'm not using Mantic models, right, I really want them to make sense. Um, so that's kind of what I'm going to do with them. I have my Paladin Foot Guard. I have my Men-at-Arms Sword and my Men-at-Arms Spears. Mm. And the next thing I want to do is I want to do some um, Sisterhood Scouts. And I love the Mantic Scout model, but it's just too hard to get. It's too expensive. It's a pain in the butt to put together. Until they release that in a little bit more uh kings of war friendly Mm -hmm. uh model i just can't use it so i think what i'm gonna do as i'm going back to the well i'm going back to shield wolf miniatures that i love they have like a shield maiden um i think they're called hunters or scouts or um but it's another one of their fantasy lines and it's all, all female models check 
it's Shield Wolf Miniatures, Rob, which is the same company that did my infantry. Mm-hmm. So, so scale, they'll have a yeah, they'll have a scale and a similar design aesthetic and a similar style, right? So check there. They all are armed with hand crossbows. Oh, great! So Sisterhood Archer, vicious. You know they they don't have piercing, but they vicious. So kind of like the the bolt of the crossbow is like maybe a little bit tougher or whatever. So I think it covers Sisterhood Scouts on all the check boxes, uh, the model, the look. So I'm gonna get a I, I'm gonna get some of those. So I, I think once I finish the Knights and the Palace Guard this year or the next few months, I'm just gonna stick with Basilians a little longer just to really get them done with options. I want to round out my infantry with the scouts that I can either use as crossbows or scouts. I want to um, maybe I have a couple of Elohi maybe do a, a couple more of those just so if I have a regiment I ever want to bring a regiment. Um, and then I really want to do – I have um, – in the Basilean army, they have a um, – you know, they have the phoenix and then they have the uh, paladin on an elder dragon. I got a storm raptor, which was a, a – people are pretty familiar with that. It's this big giant bird. It's from Warmer Hordes. It is an absolute amazing model. Um, and there is a similar shaped uh, Age of Sigmar character. Uh, female Stormcast, which I'm going to pick up. And so I'm going to mount her on a Storm Raptor. So it will be like, instead of like a high a high paladin on a dragon, it will be an Ogre Palace Guard captain riding a dragon. Awesome. And then that will be like my character on a dragon model. Basically, instead of a dragon, they're riding a giant phoenix. So it's like an elder phoenix that they've mounted. So I really want to have like a big giant monster centerpiece. To, and I'm I'm saving that for last, Rob. That's mm-hmm. gonna be the last. That's like the the like the last flourish is on the on the cake frosting. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the last Baseline model I'm gonna paint before I start my next army project. It's gonna be just like my encore or like my just my vac- you know final trip into the sunset of painting that army. So I'm really excited. That's a good thing you talked about it before. Paint the the. The stuff that you don't maybe care about or, or paint something you don't care about and then paint something you really want to paint and then vice versa or like save that one special model. And then also because, Rob, it's my showpiece model and I've now painted this army for a year and a half, it's going to be better painted than the first Baseline mm-hmm. unit I did. So it will be the best – it will be the kind of the culmination of all the stuff I've learned painting the army over the last year and a half. I want to put those – into effect on that dragon and then it will be on to my next project you know i was talking with jake from unplugged radio and um i think my next project i want to do a speed paint project just to cleanse the palette allow myself something new just try something different i've never done that so uh i'm thinking of trying to maybe do um i I think night sarkers are cool i think a lot of the goblins uh stuff is cool and i think it would be fun to do like uh, a completely non-shooting goblin army just do or try to think of doing a goblin army in like a really non-conventional way mm-hmm. um or maybe abyssal dwarves i think the new stuff coming out for abyssal dwarves looks, looks really looks mm-hmm. real and they have so much armor and i think they might do well you paint them up contrast. quick you paint them up quick armor armor for whatever reason i, I always find paints up really fast yeah and then also too i want to have sort of like I ha- i'll have bastlades as my boutique army and then i want to do i want to get one full model count or one Preferred model count, Mantic Army, just under the belt. 
So then that way, when I go to Adepticon, I have or any event that's tied to Mantic, I can make sure I can bring my support to Mantic and bring my Mantic painted army. So I really, I mean, I have my undead, which are 90%. Uh, I can make them the Mantic threshold. It's really nowhere near the where, where I'm painting right now. So I really want to do... Do something uh, new. Don't go something back. Something new. Yeah. I don't want to go... And that's the thing I am, Rob. A lot of people will go back years later and add a unit to an army. I don't do that. No. I paint it up to a certain point, and then I'm just done with it, and I yeah. move on. I mean, I might paint six or 7,000 points of something, but at some point, I am like... Okay, I'm done with it. And, and I was actually funny you say that because I've been looking at all this crap I've got around the house and uh, I've been clearing out some stuff. And it's just like, I know in my heart, I'm never going to go back and paint more Tomb King stuff, right? You know what I mean? Like, there, there's that kind of thing. Well, I know I'm not going to paint this. I forgot, and our, uh, I, I'm trying to remember, well, how did I do the basing or what, mm-hmm. how did I do? Because when I started my Undead, now we've talked about it on, on the morning after before about paint journals. Now I have a. Gotta have, have it. I have a recipe guide now, but when I did my undead, I, I just was like, oh, I'll just do it this way. And now I have resources where I like, how do I paint bone? Okay, let me go to my bone. That's mm-hmm. how I do it. Um, or I always paint brown a certain way back then. So even if I was to add something to the undead, I would be so like feeling like I'm walking backwards. Or I, right. It would just feel so strange and I wouldn't even know like where to begin. Yeah, and my journal's got like maybe 10 years worth of content and I'm still not even full because I don't paint, like I don't record stuff like maybe once a month do I have something to say. Does that make sense? But I refer back to it almost every day. It's really good. And often what I'll do is instead of like I painted a Basilean foot soldier this way, it'd be like I painted painted blue in this army. Here's my recipe for blue. Or here's my recipe for gold. Or here's how I paint blonde hair. So in your painting journal, you're not being so specific with which I painted this Templar this way. Instead, you're saying when I use this type of yellow or red what was my recipe and then i found that way it keeps your painting journal more easily accessible it's not as big you're not having to write as much and i found that uh in keeping those primary colors how i do them it then allows me to be like okay i'm gonna kind of go a little to the left or i'm gonna add a little bit more of this color it gives me that baseline it's funny you say that because um yeah something i that i actually kind of stumbled into is uh, the way i'm doing the pike you know i'm pulling like three or four guys off that have the same pose painting them and putting them back. What I'm doing, which is really funny, is I'm, I'm painting them, right? But when I'm done, I pick the best one. Okay, that's the one that's going in the front. <laughs> and like, oh, that guy's eye's not perfect. He's going in the back. It's been pretty cool because like you, you paint three or four guys, there's going to be a clear best one in there. And that's the guy that gets the spot at the front of the unit. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, he's he's done his good job of being painted. He well. looks the best. He's handsome. He's ready to go. So that's pretty much me. I I, I feel like I have my year uh, a lot of uh, my year planned out. I'm really excited. Um, and I'd kind of in the beginning of the year sort of was really frustrated with with the Basslands, not because I didn't like them or it was just like um, never gonna get these guys finished, and it's just a feeling kind of down. But I've, third edition and this getting back on After Dark, I feel really revitalized. And I've hit that threshold, Rob, where there's way more of the army finished than what's left to be done. So I'm actually – I think I see the, the finish line. Tipping like, point. Yep. Yeah, I've hit that point. So now I played a, a game and I saw the proxy, but I was like looking at it. I was like, wow, this army is actually kind of getting close to being done. Yeah, it's kind of like where my ogres are. Like at this point, I, I have, I don't know, four or 5,000 points. And – or 6,000 points, 
And so now it's just like, oh, I want to add another unit of this, or I want to add a warlock. And so um, it's kind of refreshing, right? Because I have enough to play the game. I can play plenty of lists. But like, you know, down the road when, let's say, they come out with Siege Breaker models, come out with something else, I'll be able to just just do those and add them to the army. So, and that's kind of like where I'm thinking with the Basileans. Uh, I'm thinking maybe in the 4,000 point range, somewhere around there. Because that's like enough options to where, uh, you know, I can pick and choose a little bit and not just be taking something for the sake of taking it. But Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so I'm excited. I've got a lot of work to do to finish for Masters. And then after Masters, then it's just folding right into Adepticon. Um, and yeah, and then the summer and uh, TNT and all the other you know, great events uh, down the line. It looks like this year uh, we were looking at my girlfriend was getting uh, Hillary was getting all her vacation time. We were trying and I wanted to bring her to her with with me on a travel tournament. So I was kind of looking at, well, what are the options, what we can do? And she's a really big, like old school bluegrass country music fan. So I'm going to take her to TNT. We've decided. Good. Nashville's a great place. Yeah, so she got that time off of work. So excited for that. Come early, stay late. You know, you know, Nashville's a great yeah. town. Yeah, so we wanted to check out every, you know, do some of the sightseeing, say hi to all the southeast uh, people. So excited for that. But um, yeah, so that's pretty much uh, what I got going on. Okay, outside of models, Rob. Before we get to the main topic, what have you been watching? Any shows or, or what else has been going on? Well, Disney Plus for sure, right? Come on, I mean, Mandalorian. I don't need to talk about it. It's great. I mean, I love it. Um, I've heard, you know, all the criticism that it's it's fan service. Yep, I'm a fan, <laughs> and and I, and I want more of it. So um, I'm totally fine. It's I love it. It's just a great. I mean, it's 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 a you know it's a western set in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, like you said, it's so subtle and understated, and it shows you that you don't need a big budget to tell compelling stories, and it reinforces really that some of the great the best work happening right now is in television. Yeah. And uh, Disney plus in particular, man, um, is really been hitting it out of the park with some of their, I mean, obviously I have an, a 10 year old. that's going to be a, have you been watching the Imagineering? I have not. I need to, it's, it's on my queue, but oh, like, awesome. Yeah. They've got like a, but see like, um, okay. So we'll come back to Disney plus in a minute, but one of the other shows that is, was really great is the, the Watchmen series. I don't know if you, you, you watch that as on HBO. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, it was really good, and I really liked. Obviously, I watched the boys earlier, so it was really interesting to see the juxtaposition between those two shows. Because on one level they have some similarities, and on a different level they're completely different. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed those. Um, I've been watching uh, His Dark Materials, which is another. Um, it's like that Golden Compass story. It's another TV show with James McAvoy on uh, on HBO, um, right? On HBO, uh, I watched the, the Wu Tang Clan show. It's I think it's called an American Saga. Super good. If you like The Wire and you liked Straight Out of Compton, if those two had a baby, it would be this show. So, and then, but back to Disney Plus, uh, you know, I have a 10 year old, and so we watch a lot of stuff for that age bracket. And I'm like, uh, I'm impressed by the amount of effort they're putting in. Like, they did a, uh, a TV show based on high school musical, and it's bizarro world because it's the premise of the show is the movies were movies and they were shot in this high school. And now the kids in that high school are doing a musical based on the movie that was shot in their high school. So it's kind of like meta on meta. You know what I mean? It's, wow, that's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. And so, like, you know, okay, it's a musical. But, like, these kids are talented. And it's just like, eh. My, my daughter's been getting me to watch that. And, and I've been strangely addicted to it. It's like, yeah, okay. 
you know, and then they've got the Clone Wars final season coming up on on uh, Disney Plus. Like they're just putting out good stuff, and it's original, and it's 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 a lot of cases IPs that I enjoy. Um, it's well written, and so I yeah, I'm a huge huge fan. Now, flip side, I haven't you know I know Picard just launched on uh, CB all, CBS All Access, but yeah, I watched it. Did you, did yeah, you like, like it? it? You know, for people who are probably know or don't know, whatever, there's like this real weird convoluted like rights issue with Star Trek yeah. where CPS yeah. owns the movie rights, but they don't own the television rights, even though they owned Viacom. It's like really whacked. Yeah. So, so here's the problem. So first of all, if, if we'll put a link in the show notes, uh, there's a website on YouTube called or a YouTube channel called Midnight's Edge, and they talk about this kind of stuff and they spent hours breaking this down but essentially when Viacom and CBS uh was all one big company then they split right and CBS went one way and then basically Paramount who had some of the licenses went in a different direction you ended up with one group holding the old the existing uh Star Trek license and the other group holding what they called the Kelvin timeline the new bad robot thing and it's it's a mess and so, so where does Picard fit? Is so it- it's it, it's next gen. So it takes place after Nemesis. So it, Picard now is retired from Starfleet, and it's now to the date like I think Nemesis and God, it made me feel so old. Came out like oh, fifteen years ago, maybe? like that, right? No, ten years yeah. ago, maybe. Uh, 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 so it's now that many years in the next gen storyline. So it's after Romulus and that movie is destroyed. Um, so it's next gen, but. In lieu of that, those licensing things, it looks different. So it looks more like um, uh, Star Trek Discovery or some of the new Star Trek stuff visually because they have to do it that way. But from a licensing standpoint, yeah, yeah they they can't they can't use the TNG. So there's look. some of that, but I think if they do each of those things, they have to license that for that one shot, you know. Or yeah, I don't know the exactitudes, but so it's almost like um, imagine Rob if. Star Trek Next Gen and Blade Runner had a baby. Okay. So a lot of the visuals are very kind of like futuristic, like Blade Runner-y, mm-hmm. but shiny like Star Trek. So the visualness of the show looks really good. I think the story is interesting. Um, so I really like the first episode. So it gave me some some hope. And I did the one-week um, – The free trial. Yeah, so I'd never watched Star Trek Discovery, and I'm a huge Star Trek fan. And I-, I am too, but I, you know, I'll be honest with you, I hate paywalls. Yeah. Now Disney got me hooked because it was so cheap. I mean, it was like I don't know, sixty dollars for the year or something. But like, I think CBS All Access is like like it's six bucks, but you have to have commercials. Otherwise, okay. you're. But I already have like Hulu, and I already, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean. Like at some point, you're just like I have. I have too much stuff. And I probably, I mean, I have Amazon Prime. I have, you know, like, I, like currently, I don't have Netflix because I have all this other stuff. I know there's good stuff on Netflix that I need to watch. Yeah, my thinking is, I just love Star Trek so much that I get it, and I'll have it during the Picard season, and in the meantime, I can watch all the Discovery, which I've watched a couple right. episodes of that. And that, if you can just view it like a sci-fi show, I'm liking it so far. I mean, it's very different yeah. and uh, not really Star Trekky. It's just like a cool space sci-fi show. But I'm only like a couple episodes in, um, but I but I like it. So the Picard show, uh, uh, I mean, he's just like to see him back. It's just you're just like yes. We talked about that. Like I mentioned, the nostalgia thing. That's right up my alley. Like I don't care if it's uh, just 
giving me lip service and just you know making it make you know make me feel the way I used to feel. That's fine. That's what I want. I want to recapture that, right? I mean, I love Next yeah, Generation. I'm just waiting for him to be in a building or something and be like, "Hey, you only have four lights or something." I got it. <laughs> there are four lights. So uh, let me ask you this: What are your favorite episodes? Or episode of the the next generation. Okay, well, you know, when people say that, they go like yesterday's Enterprise, right? Great, great episode, but that's not my favorite. Okay. So, I mean, that's obviously one that is up there. Um, I think that the two parter with him in uh, uh, the Cardassian when he's being interviewed or uh, like that. You know, one that one that I really like is the one where, and it's a Wesley episode, so don't kill me. Uh, when he's in Starfleet. Academy, and it's with uh, the young Judd. Ashley Judd is the guest star. When Riker brings back the game, that when you use it, it like addicts you, addicts you, uh, makes you an addict, and all the crew, and they have to like disable data. You know the episode I'm talking about? I know I was good. I episode. really like that. So, what's your favorite episode? So my, my number one is, and this this may sound weird, but I like the inner light. It's the with one the, where the flute. they stumble upon, yeah, yeah, the mm-hmm. flute, it's yeah. Episode. It's just amazing. Yeah. It was amazing to see him because he's such a good actor to see him live a lifetime in thirty minutes or an hour, I guess an hour. Uh, yeah, I, that's that's. Probably, I mean, yesterday's Enterprise is great too, and anything with the Borg is great. You know, and the battle of you know Wolf three five nine and all. I mean, that's all. That's all awesome. But and I'll say something else is maybe a little bit sacrilegious. I actually. Really like Deep Space Nine. Well, that's my favorite. That's been, my favorite. Yeah, so I, I have been watching that. So, like, uh, in my bedroom, I don't have cable. Like, I just have, like, an antenna because we're in Memphis. We get tons of stations. And uh, there's a station called H&I, which is, like, Heroes and Icons. And they, they show Star Trek for, like, five hours every night. So, like, at 9 o'clock, there, there's Deep Space Nine. There's something about the Deep Space Nine universe that's different. You know, obviously the next generation, you're on a ship and you're going places, but it changes, you know, it really throws yeah, things on its head like when DS- you got the station. Yeah, with Deep Space Nine, since you're at a central location, Deep Space Nine's cast of semi-regular returning characters was so strong. I mean, think about it. Gold Dukat, our Wayun, our... Like, oh, God, the cops. So, so many awesome. of, the, of, the, of the characters who... Uh, Garrick, you know, who weren't in the show all the time, but who would kind of, uh, you know, come back in arcs. And that's really one of the first shows that we see in that uh, genre, sci-fi fantasy, that really began to introduce serialized storytelling. Where we, they had arcs and like season arcs and some, you know, they, the finale of that show was like seven or eight episodes all directly linked. Well, I mean, the whole battles. I mean, like, I just remember when the when they had the big battle and they were being, you know, the, the station was being boarded. It's like, oh my god, this is hand to hand combat. Come on, that's amazing. Yeah, it's so good. You know, they recently came out with a movie, Rob, um, a documentary. Um, I think it was uh, what was it called? Um, hold on, one second. Talking about documentaries, have you ever seen? There's a movie called The Captains. It's maybe like ten years old at this point. But it's if I remember correctly, I think that's what it's called. And they ha- literally have all the captains from all of the shows, and they're in this documentary talking about you know, yeah, what it's like you know to portray a captain so, on a Star Trek and uh, show. The show or the the um, the documentary was called "What We Leave Behind: Looking Back at Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. And it was one of those Ooh. fathom events where they had it in my local theater. So I went to go watch it. And what's really cool about it? It's a documentary all about Deep Space Nine. So they talk about. The storytelling, they talk about Avery Brooks, you know, all that stuff. But then they also get the old writers together. So we're talking um, 
um, Ronald Moore, the guy who did Battlestar Galactica, now Outlander. He was one of the head. He, he used to write in Next Gen and then a lot in Deep Space Nine. So they all come together and they write if Deep Space Nine was going to be relaunched. What would the pilot episode be? Oh, wow. So it's all them in a writing room, and they're as they're doing it, they don't they show like animatics of what the episode would have looked like. So That's it's awesome. really cool. But yeah, oh yeah, Deep Space Nine, I absolutely love. Other other sci-fi shows, I like the Orville. I don't know if you yeah. you watch that. That that's a fun show. And then the Expanse oh, on the Expanse um, is awesome on Amazon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I haven't been keeping up just because there's too much to watch. I mean, between you know podcasting, which we do a lot of, um, and playing Kings of War and painting, there's like man, and working and sleeping and all. It's like man, not not a lot of time. How about regular TV? You watch anything on uh, regular TV? So I've been getting into. Um, I'm all caught up now on Better Call Saul. Uh, I'm not sure if you're a Breaking Bad or a Better Call Saul fan. I, I've seen a couple episodes. I like it, but it's one of those deals where I'll get to yeah. it in ten years. You know what I mean? It's like there's just so much other stuff on my plate right now. I'll get to it eventually. And uh, I am a big fan of like binge watching. So I like I love it when I find a show that I really like and find out that it's actually over. <laughs> like there's two or three seasons, you know, and then I can literally just power through it. That's a great binge watch. Yeah. And it's only four seasons and they're smaller seasons, so it's something that's manageable. We talk a lot about Rob world building in television or movies, but mm-hmm. not many contemporary movies or contemporary sh- shows really build worlds that are so full of characters and and the Breaking Bad world between Breaking Bad and Breaking uh, Better Call Saul. There's so many of these nuances and characters that go back and forth, and it's really they've really created such a rich world mm-hmm. in both those shows. So. I watched that. Um, uh, I just I had two seasons. I got caught up with that, and like I said, I'm getting caught up on the um, Star Trek. Um, what about you? What any regular television that you've been watching? I mean, I, I'm I'm an '80s junkie, yeah. right? So like Goldberg's. I mean, I I know it's it's the seventh season, and it's not as good as it was in like third or fourth season, but I still come back to it because I'm you know I'm just like I'm hooked. I mean the latest episode had Anthony Michael Hall in it. You know what I mean? Like they're just, they're able to, you know, Steve Gutenberg was in the same episode. I'm like, you're getting these people from my childhood to come out of retirement and do these things. You know, um, it's just a great show. And so I love that show a lot. Uh, a weird one that, that I've been watching that kind of caught me off guard. It's called, uh, Bob Hart's Abishola. It's the premise is this white man in Detroit has a heart attack and then falls in love with his black nurse at the hospital. That's basically it, and that's the show. And it's it's a weird premise. And at first I was like, okay, where's this going? I don't really, you know, but it's turned out, it's pretty funny. Because obviously she's from Nigeria, and he's from Detroit. And so they have, obviously, there's cultural differences that they have to overcome and stuff. It's pretty it's pretty funny. If you haven't, it's on CBS. You should check it out. Um, cool. Movie-wise, I saw, I don't know if you've watched it yet, Eddie Murphy's Dolomite movie on Netflix is really, oh. I haven't. Uh, I've heard it was really great, good. though. Yeah, no, it's really good. Um, wise, I read. I've been listening to some audiobooks. You know, I've been helping out or not helping out. I was on one episode. You know, Jake's been doing with Keith Randall, The Wheel of Time, as they've been reading them. I was on one episode of that. You know, I'm trying to keep up with them. They're going so fast because I'll, I'll like get distracted and and do like a side book. So I read um, Total Recall, Arnold Schwarzenegger's autobiography, <laughs> which was That's really awesome. interesting. Like he goes through like his life. Um, movies like he, he spends a whole chapter talking about the contract that they got when they did twins and all like the backstory of that. 
Love that movie. I love that movie. Um, really interesting stuff. And I think whether you like or don't like him, he came from nothing. And when you when you hear like what he achieved in his life, it's like really incredible. And being a Californian, you know, he was a very polarizing governor, but sort of his legacy after post-governorship has been really focused. And he's a Republican, but it's been focused on the environment, you know, a lot of really positive stuff. So I, I read his book, which was really good. And then on a whim, I just picked up The Princess Diarist that was Carrie Fisher's novel, our book about her uh, affair with Harrison Ford during the filming of the first Star Wars. Okay. And what happened is she found all her journals from when she was filming that movie. And like the first half of the book is her just talking about um, uh, that experience, what it was like, what it was like to be in Star Wars. And then the second half of the novel has a lot of the actual just journals. Mm Mm-hmm. And her poetry and stuff like that. So that was a pretty interesting um, yeah. book. So those have been kind of the two recent things. You've been reading anything? I have not. Uh, a lot of YouTube. My daughter. Oh, cool. What, what do you? Yeah, YouTube? my my daughter's like a nut for uh, bad rip lip reading. So like, oh like, yeah, my girlfriend. I don't know if you've seen things. it. But it's yeah, so no, funny. She, lo- she loves all the football ones. She loves them. Yeah, and so we've been watching a lot of the Star Wars ones. Uh, like. You know, Return of the Jedi, whatever, and you know they have famous people like uh, uh, Bill Hader and Maya Rudolph doing some of the voices, and it's it's Jack Black. It's funny. I mean, I honestly, at first, I'm like, okay, this is dumb, but it kind of grows on you. You're like, okay, and some of them have like catchy songs. You know, uh, there's this one called um, My Stick. <laughs> Just look it up. Just YouTube it. It's My Stick, and it's the scene from uh, The Force Awakens where maybe it's not The Force Awakens, uh, Last Jedi, maybe where he goes to the Yoda is there on the island and basically Yoda is singing to Luke. It's, okay. I mean, it's, it's hysterical. It's so, it's so stupid. Like the lyrics are, st- the content is so stupid that um, it's, you know, uh, but yeah, so I've been watching a lot of YouTube podcasts. I love, I, you know, I love me some podcasts, man. So the one podcast that's really uh, kind of fell in my lap and I've just been loving it is the Broken Record podcast. Um, it's from the guy, one of the guys I think that did Freakonomics, Malcolm Gladwell, but he hooked up with Rick Rubin and uh, this other music guy, uh, Bruce Headlam. He, like he's like the New York Times editor for music. Anyways, they just interview uh, music people, uh, and sometimes it's like like a specific topic, like talking about their lives or their music or how, you know, or it could be something a little bit more, um, off the wall. Uh, like it could be, you know, like, like more of a history lesson, if that makes sense, rather than about the, you're getting insight into people that you, in a way you don't normally get, you should look it up. There's some really interesting episodes. Jack White's on a few of them and he is, I mean, some of the episodes that he's on are tremendous, man. Really, really good. So I've been enjoying that. And obviously, all the video game podcasts. I mean, I, I you know, and I, and I should say vintage video games. So, like, we're talking about arcades, you know, uh, vintage consoles, you know, 70s and 80s. So, um, but yeah. Do you ever watch, um, oh, back to YouTube real quick. There's one video game guy, uh, Metal Jesus. Man, Metal Jesus rocks, yeah. yeah I love him. He's awesome. Yeah. That's, and, that's and all of his crew, so, right? Yeah. He's got... Um, Radical Reggie. Radical Reggie, yeah. And then, uh, uh, what's his name? The the guy that's got the actual collection that's just huge. John Hancock wow. yeah, and then is amazing. Drunken Master Paul. It's like Drunken Master funny, Paul. Yeah. Funny character. And actually, yeah. if you haven't been watching, he actually just moved, and he's got a yeah. new s- setup. It's really cool. So, yeah, I like those guys. Um, another one I really like. Do you ever watch Adam Savage's Tested? 
channel. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a TV show now too. Oh, okay. It's, I, I don't remember what it's called, but in the first one, he built an he built an actual Iron Man suit that flew. <laughs> yeah, so I love that. I love his YouTube channel. A lot of the stuff on there. Yeah, is, Test like, is great. Really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, t- Test is really good. Cool. Well, why don't we take a little break? And we, when we come back, we will hit our main topic of what got us into Kings of War and why do we love to play it. I'm Ronnie from Mantic Games, and you're listening to Counter Charge. And we are back. Okay. Uh, as we mentioned in the beginning of the show, uh, our main topic for today is Rob recently on the Counter Charge Facebook page put a post, you know, trying to refocus our attention and sort of get us looking into uh, um, some more positive uh, areas was what kind of what got you into Kings of War and kind of evolved into uh, why I play Kings of War. Um, so what, when you put that up, Rob, you know, we're fresh coming off Siege. Uh, I know you and I, we're, we try to stay positive lens. You know, yeah. we're, we critique things when we do. But what what kind of prompted you to start that discussion? Yeah, so I went into work like like any other day. I got there like 6, 6.30 and um, just started chatting with, two newer players you could tell they had passion for the game there was something about it that just reminded me oh yeah this this is why i play the game because of people like these guys that's why we play kings of war because of these cool guys yeah i I know the other stuff that we that will all tout like the rules i get all that but at the end of the day it's the people that play the game that make the game it was weird like it struck a chord with me because i mean i mean i probably chatted with these guys for like over an hour and when i was done i was just like you know i think we've lost our way or i don't want to say we lost our way but I, I think every once in a while it's good to 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 remind yourself of why you do what you do some kind of like you know self-reflection on why you choose to spend your time the way that you do and so um, i just put a simple post up there i just hey had a great time talking to these guys why do you play kings of war and much to my surprise it struck a nerve with some people and i think we're up to like 100 posts or something and what I mentioned, you know, we, I think we mentioned in the opening, it, they're not like I play because the game's great. There's none of that. These are very well articulated posts of, you know, some are one reason, some are like three or four reasons. Yeah, you know, I really like what you said about kind of that idea of losing your way. And, you know, we were talking about this in After Dark. You know, when Second Edition came out, it had some issues too, but the community wasn't as big. People hadn't been playing Kings of War competitively for a really long time. You know, um, it wasn't as entrenched as a, in the tournament's uh, sphere. Um, so I think when third edition came out, every edition is new, has changed, you know, is going to have some issues. I think the microscope is just so much tighter on third edition. And the, and with the advent of social media, which does a lot of good things for wargaming, and then also there creates just a lot of uh, noise. It has just as many negatives as it does for positives. Really, yeah. so I think it's in sort of light of that, taking a step back and realizing um, if a new edition has balance issues, they will get addressed. It just may take some time, and just be thankful we play a game system that uh, you know has yearly updates that are cohesive and you know try to assess that. So in that, and kind of taking a step aside from maybe some of the more competitive or technical or rule stuff going on, which is not to say that having those critiques is not valid. I'm not saying that you can't have opinions that aren't all 100% positive, right? You know, of course, uh, have that stuff. And that those discussions are going to be going on no matter what we do, Rob. Like, we can't go on there and say, stop bitching, and then, uh, and then it'll stop. 
Uh, no, but, no, it just makes it worse. <laughs> yeah, so that will keep happening. But what we can do in trying to um, feel empowered and trying to take part in creating the spaces and communities that we want to be a part of, Rob and I just wanted to like reconnect with why Kings of War, what is great about this game, and just kind of uh, you know maybe give a, a break to those people who are frustrated of hearing all the frustration and want to just like commiserate about why they love Kings of War and why what got them into it. So uh, we have some quotes from some of that uh, thread, but why don't we start off first, first, Rob? Why don't you answer your own question? Yeah, because I never actually did, right? Uh, I mean, you know, why do I play Kings of War? I mean, honestly, I got into playing Kings of War as an alternative to Warhammer Fantasy, right? And so we were playing in first edition. The rules weren't weren't great. I mean, I, they were they were pretty. There were some pretty in some pretty big swingy imbalances with war machines and cavalry and flyers and stuff like that. But from the beginning, what I noticed is that you've got a company that's paying attention and that unlike other companies, they're not purposefully trying to create imbalance to sell models, not intentionally. Right. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that everything's always balanced all the time. No, if it was the if that was the case, we wouldn't need the Clash of Kings updates. Um, but metas change, p- player behavior changes, you know. Um, and so from the beginning, I've always noticed that you have a company that's pretty well engaged with the community, and it sort of grew out of there. And then and then obviously, you know, the community developed, and I've got like lifelong friends, or at least I feel like they're lifelong friends that I may have only known for, you know, eight nine years, but I met them playing Kings of War, and uh, they're going to be around for a very long time and, and and I really a better way to say this is that I came as an alternative to Warhammer Fantasy and I stayed because of the people. Yeah, that's really interesting because if I was to answer that question it would be similar to yours and why Kings of War or what got me into Kings of War was I wanted to play a fantasy miniature game and I didn't care for Age of Sigmar, so what was next on the list? That's what got me in. But if you to ask me, why do I play? Like in the present, continuing participle playing is because I love the events. I love the community. I love doing the podcast. That doesn't mean I don't love painting models and love strategy games. I do love those things. But why do I do this as like part of my lifestyle? It's because of the community. Hundred percent. To your point, I am a huge painter. I love painting. I love modeling, but that's just number two or three or four on the list, right? I mean, one is community. Exactly. You know, and when you think about the communities that you've grown in your local area to the ones you grow across country, I mean, to go to any tournament in the country and know people who you can hang out with or share space with i was telling the wife that the other day i said you know we could literally probably go to just about any major city and i could get a pickup game with somebody that i've met online and i think that like as we grow and i think i mentioned this maybe when we were talking with luke or uh in a past episode in many ways i think kings of war i call it like a goldilocks game Mm -hmm. because a lot of it is just right you know Mm -hmm. what i mean it's not too big. It's not too small. And I feel like we're at that just right where our community can self-regulate and self-police a little bit uh, and that it has that sort of a, a, a big enough amount of people but still that hometown feel. 
It's like almost like the best of both worlds. It's why I agree with you, Rob. To me, the the thirty man tournament that's mm-hmm. like that's the business. That's the business, right? Because you get the competitive feel, and then you get to hang out with everyone. So I think as we grow and get bigger, and then also as we grow and we want to uh, be an advertisement for the game, we need to model behavior, model game values, and model what we want in the players to join the game. And I think no matter what side of the pyramid you like, competitive sports paint, wherever you uh, uh, line up in that, the more that you can be welcoming for all three sides and all three types of players and be welcoming for all the types of miniature players, the more health healthy community you're going to have, period. Well, I think the best way to describe it is you don't have to be good at all those things, but you have to be able to appreciate that others are, you know, and that others may, the value they assign them is different. Like for me, hobby and sports, you know, like, you know, the community, those, that's why I go to a tournament. When I go to a tournament, it's really about hanging out with my friends, showing off this cool model that I made, checking out this new model that you painted, whatever, you know, and, and for somebody else, it could be flipped exactly around. It is for them, the competitive itch. And that's fine. I can, you know, from my perspective, I appreciate that we we're all different and that we all have different preferences and we, we value things differently, but that's okay. And just as much, Rob, as we need like hobby guys and sports guys, you need competitive people too to drive the game. So really when I say we need people from all the those pyramid sides, that's true. We need yeah. them from all of them. So just because if you're a competitive player and you're not much of a hobby player or a sports guy, it's important not to discredit them or discount them just as it is. It's if you're just a hobby and sports guy and be like, oh, those competitive players could go blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's good either. I think no. we need to – we need to come and realize that we need all of the types well, of players. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, we should all strive to embrace all the sides, right? Not to say that you're not going to have a favorite, <laughs> but you should be able to appreciate and embrace, you know, all the facets that that is to this game. Because there's, you know, they're all equally important. It's, you know, I used to say it's like a three-legged stool, right? You need all three pieces for the stool to sit up, you know, uh, the sportsmanship, the hobby, and, and the gaming piece, so... Especially when you're trying to like grow or get more players, you I think that's the goal to go towards is to try to view the hobby in a holistic sense. So that's kind of like Rob's and I thoughts, but you know, let's go through some of these um, responses from our listeners. And as Rob said, there's many, many, many. I just picked. There's the like a hundred, more than a hundred. Yeah, and 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 there's more every day. Like the, the post mm-hmm. has only been up for a couple, like maybe a day and a half. And it's like there's a couple an hour showing up. So, and it, and if you're listening to this and you haven't added your two cents to our post, please do. It is pinned at the top of the Connor Charge Podcast Facebook page. It will be there. There's actually I put a little note on there. We're gonna leave it up there. Whenever you feel down or you feel like you're you're losing focus, come back and take a look at some of these great responses. And then also too, guys, if you have a local gaming group playing Kings of War and you, you maybe don't know the people in your area that have been on our show or you want to come talk about your club or your area, just let us know. I mean, if you, you know, if you're from an area that we've never had anyone on the show, let us know. We'll bring you on the show. We'll talk about, you know, your group. So it'd be good to, to hear more new voices. I think people know this. If you join our group and you listen to our show, send me a friend request, DM me. Let's talk because I love chatting with people. Reach out to us. I mean, we're, 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 I mean, think of us as, you know, it's funny because the podcast has grown quite a bit over the years. And when we first started, 
the 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 kind of the thing that we started with was look there's two kinds of podcasts there's podcasts about people or the, you know the personalities and there's a podcast you know podcast about the content um, and we really strive for that second one at the beginning we wanted to be like that reference where you would go to and here's how you play the game here's where the tournaments are like a reference book right timeless classic as we've grown I think our personality it's it's you know it's kind of split now and um, I don't know where I'm going with it <laughs> but my point is. We really, we want you to be part of our community is my point. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, doing the show is like a lot of fun for us. And it's also a privilege to, to be able to contribute in a meaningful way, hopefully to the hobby that you love. And part of that is you, you, you don't have a hobby without people. That's the thing that I don't get when we talk about the people who are just mean or they want to have unfun environments or whatever. If, you're, if you scare people away to that extent or no one wants to play who are you going to play with yeah it, it always harkens back to me from like when you look at professional sports if you have a sports league where you've got teams that never win and end up going out of business that's not good for the league right you you, you want you want competition because competition you know in, in our community makes us better hobbyists makes us better players makes us better sports and and all of that builds on itself and you grow and you get more people and you know like we we develop and we grow together you know rising waters lift all ships exactly you know what i mean exactly yeah cool well we're just going to go through some of these uh uh, quotes from our we're just going to go through some of these responses to the post um matt young uh said you know matt uh texas Great guy. Uh, you just I think he was him. like the first post too, right? Yeah. He, he must follow on. what we do like butter. He must be on Facebook all day. Yeah, totally. Um, and it, uh, just had him on the Ogre Review, Hobby Sauce. He, like many people, says, I got, a, I got in as a refugee from Old Hammer, but I stayed because of the community. Exactly kind of what we were talking about, Rob. Um, if, if this community switched Kings of War, I would probably too. Um and then he talks about about you know the the rule set, everything you know that we've talked about as sort of a secondary thing. But it's that idea of coming to Kings of War as wanting to play a game, but staying because of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, David Crabtree says multi basing is a big part of it. I enjoy the game, but my main interest is in the modeling opportunities it affords. Um, love multi basing, right, Rob? It is like Kings of War is a hobbyist dream. Yeah, if I had to pick one hobby thing from the game. Obviously, figure agnostic is good, right? Um, but to be fair, we had figure agnostic, you know, with with Warhammer Fantasy. There was unless you went to a GW tournament, nobody was saying you couldn't play with other models. But the multi basing aspect of the game is, I mean, it's just, I mean, I, I've went bonkers with these bases that I'm making for the Kingdoms of Halfmen. I mean, big giant mountain things, and I, I love it. It's, I never want to go back. Yeah, I mean, my Basilean army has ruins with stained glass windows, and I mean, it's just so much fun. Multi-basing is amazing. Wait till you see, man, when you see Scott's army. Oh, I saw I saw the pictures. Wait till you see his display board. I can't talk about it because then then they'd have to kill me. Yeah. No, but I mean, this is the pirate army, right? Is it it Kingdoms of Men? Or no, is it Brotherhood? He's playing it as Kingdoms of Men. Okay, Kingdoms of Men. But he's got like pirates and stuff. Uh, on boats and stuff, and, and is it the Firelock Games boats? Is that what those are? Yes, and yeah. it's like they're they're the, that's his night regiment, or like pirates on a on a landing boat, right. like storming into the beach. And, and by the way, huge shout out to the Firelock guys. 
Uh, I know they play Kings of War, and uh, man, I love that game. Um, it, it's man, if you're into historical games that's got like that cinematic flair, check out Blood and Plunder. Yeah, Sorry. no, really cool stuff. So his uh, everyone who's going to Masters are the best of the rest. Take a look at Scott's Pirate Army. It's definitely going to be Scott like, Holcomb, right? Scott Holcomb. It's yeah. definitely going to be a player's choice contender. It is. It has all the elements of what you want in a player's choice army. The water um, that, effect is outrageous. Oh, it's outrageous. Um, it's the you know we always talk about Rob. You, his is the army that you go to event, and if you could take one ar- one army, that's home, how I answer the question. What army can I take home? It would well, be his. that would be yeah. It, it's a really cool looking army. Yeah. So take out take uh, take a look at that if you're heading to Masters, um, or just it, check our feed. We'll have yeah. pictures. Yeah, lots of pictures. Uh, the they've renamed the Southern California Facebook page that was this like Southern California Wargaming SSB two close like the most convoluted name. Yeah. Now it's just Surge and Destroy. Yeah. Well, because I, and and I heard a rumor that they're maybe even gonna get a podcast off the ground. Yeah, that's what they're talking about, and maybe revitalizing the West Coast Kings page. Yeah, the... I'm excited because I know uh, Mike Grant and those guys. Yeah, and uh, and and obviously, if our buddy is. If Rashad's involved, it'll be cool. Yes, I mean Rashad's. Oh God, I love. He's that the guy. master of cheese. He is so master. Last guy you're talking, and he's like, "Oh, Jerry, be my my friend. We must paint, but first I gotta walk across the street to Jack in the Box. I shall." <laughs> Rashad, I love Jack in the Box. Two pounds, and you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to know why he needed to have Jack in the Box at one thirty in the morning. Let's just say, uh, special Twinkies were eaten, but. Um, very, very uh, just love that guy. So they got shirts. So the idea that there's so many undead players in Southern California that they're like Surge and Destroy. Yeah. So um, yeah. that's cool. David Goodman, another. Uh, He's one of the guys that I was talking to that oh, prompted cool. this whole thing. David, he chatted with me. He's yeah. one of the new guys that's from Alabama that went to Siege and had, a, had an interesting experience. And um, yeah, love chatting with him. Yeah. So he said playing a fantasy war game with gorgeous models. That has an incredible community while taking uh, trash and having a few beers. What's not to love? So thanks, David. Yeah, yeah and we met him at uh, the Forge GT, I think, for the first time uh, this past November. And so I'm looking forward to having him and, and Brant at Blue City Brawl. Cool. Um, the infamous, my brother from another mother, I love him to death, Todd. <laughs> uh, he said he... Uh, the largely balanced rules and involvement of and listening to the community is also a huge plus. So that idea, Rob, we talked about uh, um, listening to your community that Mantic does that we all love. So um, Todd also should have put on here uh, suspiciously named bearded Nordic men's Facebook pages is another <laughs> hobby of his. Um, okay, so next on the list is uh, – Mike LaHaye. Mike said, I was a Warhammer refugee who tried it out and loved how the rules were just a few pages instead of several books. How could you play and, and how you could play a game in a few hours? So that's a great aspect. You know, Rob of Kings of War, it's like the whole Texas Hold'em, a minute to learn, lifetime the master philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the things that I love. How many times have you been when you played Warhammer back in the day and you play two or three games in a row, and you're like, "Oh my god, kill me now! Give me a brain lobotomy." Well, usually it resulted like when I would be at an event, 
And then like there's a rule interaction that we were not seeing coming and we have to consult the FAQ and what is the definition of unmodified leadership? Um, and yeah, I'm just like, oh, like my, my head would hurt. I mean, it, it felt like a job at times. Yeah, and Kings is just not like that. I mean, no. you could play three or four games and you're tired, but because you concentrated, but you're not like, oh, I don't want to play again and forever, you know? Right. So um, definitely agree with that. Um, our buddy Nathan Arnold, who is my Whataburger buddy, whenever I go to the Alamo, we, we always go get Whataburgers. Um, he said, because it's a crazy good rule set, because of the great community I now enjoy. Um, one thing that Nathan loves to do at Alamo, he runs always, he runs a, a either a D and D or now King, you know, he's been on talking about Kings of War RPG with Mark. Um, he always likes to run RPGs at tournaments, um, which that's something we've never really done, Rob. Like, what do you do on the Friday night of a tournament? You know, or what stuff can you I, do? I don't ever play. <laughs> yeah. I just hang out, uh, record, chat, you know, hang out, maybe play some board games. Uh, yeah, I, 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 like I said, I go for the people. The game is almost secondary. There's lots of things you can do at a tournament, like board games or card games. I know one tournament had a poker tournament. There's lots of stuff you can do in the evening hours that's still sort of game-related, but taking a break from Kings of War, but still doing something to keep everyone together, uh, which is pretty fun. Um, our buddy, the master, the winner, I don't know if you won it this last year because I, I didn't go, but I was there the year before. Uh, the winner of the most money spent on booze at Lone Wolf Award, <laughs> Robbie King. Yeah, Robbie uh, King. So his, uh, for the drinking and hanging out with drinks, more drinks, from uh, and dudes from other states at GTs. So Robbie's a character. I love you, Robbie. Um, he should all probably have said they're also like snuggling uncomfortably with other uh, tournament goers. Um, real funny guy. Um Blake Robertson, uh, he's one of the guys, Rob, who's out of the Reno group. Yeah, I, was, I, I haven't had a chance to chat with him yet. but uh, Yeah, I really want to get him on, get some of the Reno guys on to do a little episode on their community. You know, we're trying to work with them for Riddle of Steel and other events to get uh, the Reno guys into SoCal events and uh, the West Coast scene. But he said, great community, great game from a great game company is it has great balance and no real power creep with new units or armies. Also, as a miniatures war game, it is reasonably inexpensive. And that and that's a thing that you know we we didn't really touch on, but yeah, it is because most people have most people that are inclined to play fantasy games already have models in their house. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, our buddy Ray Shields left a really nice, touching message. That- Every time I read anything from Ray, I almost like I have to like sit down and have a moment. Right? Yeah. He's just such a thoughtful, caring, like loving. You know, Ray is just a good human being. He's yeah. just like a good soul, a good person, just like a really stand up guy. Um, so I, I, I won't read his whole thing, uh, but I'll uh, read you a little snippet from it. So he, Ray says, I was a bit hesitant to respond to this at first, but tonight I played my first game of 30 edition with Joey. That's probably Joey Greek, who's also my last opponent of second edition at Crossroads. Uh, while circumstances may have changed and I have a child now announcing its needs, it was still nice to talk to him and play for fun. I'm looking forward to seeing him 
and indeed everyone at Masters this year, and to share and celebrate the old bonds while creating new ones as the community grows. Um, just so much. Yeah, you can't put it any better than that. So much great stuff, and I love. I really mm-hmm. what, what part of this that touched me is that you know, uh, starting a new family or having young kids, of realizing that that's a joy that you can bring with you into the hobby space. And I know somebody's that as soon as they have a kid, they're like, Oh, I can't game anymore. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, of course your children and your family take precedent, but I think the hobby can be so enriching. I think it's good to just not give it up when you do have try, you know, find a way to work it into your life. Well, and also it's important to know, we've said this over time. This isn't a game. You've got to, you can take a break. <laughs> if you have something in your life that you need to do, go do it. And when you and when you're ready to come back and play, the game hasn't changed all that much. Yeah, no, exactly. So that's why, um, <clears throat> no, I love Ray. You know, we play. He mentions in his comment we had a great game in Alamo um, uh, against his rats and dwarves, and it was this weird, uh, you know, Texian Ryan Smith Texian, which like his his scenarios are even that much more crazy. Yeah, they're nuts. Texas scenarios are nuts. Yeah, it's like if Texas. Uh, scenarios was like a language the ryan smith alamo is like the dialect that no one can speak because it's so <laughs> it's so wackadoo you know right but yeah he, the the it was like r- the waters were rising and there was different it was control but different board sections yes. had water that was rising um I'm and it would maybe do damage to you and ray was playing rats so his rats were drowning but my and i was using kevin von felt's dwarves all my dwarves put on their underwater breathing helmets so they were just like trudging through the water but super fun um uh game and i've commented it before i love ray's rats they're like alpine arctic themed um so i'm really cool i'm really excited to see him um at masters uh yeah so thank you very much ray Okay, um, the last one I have here, Rob, is from Steve Evans, and I thought it was just kind of a really encompassed, uh, like Ray's, some really good stuff. He says, it's the game I always wanted and have been waiting for for the last 40 years. Great gameplay, casual or competitive, fun hobby projects, painting and modeling, and fa- fantastic community events and on- online What's not the love, thumbs, sunglass, smiley face emoji? What I really liked about what he said is when I play Kings of War, it's like, gosh, this is the version of Warhammer I wish that they're always had. Or this is the version of Warhammer tournaments and competitive community that I wish that they always had. So for me, if like I could, this is like the game and community that I've been waiting for too. We sort of had to go through Warhammer. To get to a point where we could appreciate Kings of War, if that makes sense, like you had to climb the mountain to realize once you, once you, and once you get to Kings of War, you're like, oh, this is the destination I've been looking for all my life. Like I I don't know why, if I never played Warhammer that I would appreciate the nuance, the the streamlined rules, the you know all all of those things. I mean, yeah, the community thing, I, I, totally, but like the rules part of it, I don't know that I would have been in a place where I would understand what I was looking at if I didn't go through that GW experience. Yeah. So what we're saying is when we're like, this is the game that I wish there was, it's not like this is the game I wish Warhammer was is I always wish there was a game, a fantasy game like this. Right. So because the fact that Warhammer can still exist in AOS form is great for those people that like that style of game. 
I think exactly. I, th- I think some people like chocolate, some people like vanilla. And that's really what it is. And that's why I love Adepticon so much is that it's for all miniature games when, when, when really like we should feel like we're different branches of the same family, you know, and sometimes there is a little bit that, that like, you know, Oh, you play that game and automatically we're like yeah. fighting each yeah. other. But yeah, let us know if you like these sort of episodes or if they're fun or, you know, maybe this sort of episode, not every, every, all the time, but maybe you want, Rob and I to do like a check-in every few months, you know, where we do sort of like a fireside chat check-in or whatever. Um, let us know what you think because it's nice, you know, we want to provide you guys with with, with really deep content uh, about gameplay. We have an almost five-hour dwarf recording. I'm like, I'm not looking forward to having it at that, that juggernaut. Yeah, it dawned on me, though, like, out of all the armies, the people that play dwarves they would probably be be okay with that, right? Like, like out of all the armies, dwarves is probably the one where so they, they can at home they can get out their great book of notes and start exactly down all exactly. The from it's gonna fit in fit in with them like like butter. It's yeah. it's gonna be fine. We we want to try to bring you guys uh, good content, but also it's fun every now and then to you know not necessarily be interviewing someone big in the community or doing those big army reviews, but just for Rob and I just to get on and kind of just share our thoughts and you know talk about our hobby and what we're doing so definitely let us know uh, how you guys like this episode and you know keep the episode topics rolling in you know we're always open to different things you guys like to hear you know we we got a, a really great me- message from Dwayne right the other day Rob um, talking about what he remembered about countercharge and why he loved it mm-hmm. um, because you know obviously life grow- goes on and things change and we've got new hosts and stuff and um, he just reminded us of the things that brought him to countercharge, right? right? The things that he really liked. And, uh, we appreciate that because that helps us go, Oh, we maybe, we, maybe we need another list builder studio. We yeah, haven't we had haven't one of those done, in a while. We haven't done right. List yeah. Builders so in like, a while, what, yeah. you know, and why haven't we, well, I mean, the transition to the new third edition really been the bulk of our attention, but Hey, we got time for a list builder studio. If you got a guest you want to hear, let us know. And shout out to Dwayne, you know, he was one of the first Army in a Weekend guys, and then he mm-hmm. transitioned. Oh, to- oh, I got it. I got you ready for some jaw dropping news. Sure. Did you ever meet Mike Gukowski? Um, I know his Facebook thing because it's the Mike. From, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Mike, I met Mike at Lone Wolf a long time ago, and then he went and played. So he's from the Kansas area, and him and Dwayne were both from that area at the time, and I met them both, and they're friends. Uh, and then Dwayne ended up going to Phoenix, and then back to Alabama. Well. They have signed up for Blue Sea Brawl. Super excited because Mike hasn't That's been awesome. to an event in a long time. And, uh, uh, guys, I cannot wait for you guys to come to Memphis. I'm super pumped. That's, uh, it's going gonna to be amazing because I haven't seen Mike in a long time. And he is a super cool guy. Love hanging out with Mike. Um, he is one of those guys that, that underst- like he's one of those guys that takes that holistic approach where he wants to be good at the game, but he also wants to be good at the hobby. And, you know, and so he's a good sport. And uh, he's the, he's the kind of role model that you want to put up, you know, at the table. That's awesome. And I and I know that like Dwayne gave me crap because I read his army list. I think it was for, I want to say it was for TNT. And um, he was talking to you, and he's like, Jerry, do you remember who I was? And it's like, I remember, I remember <laughs> you, Dwayne. I remember like it's a funny thing is like I can remember like his Skaven and like the colors he was painting and like that army in, in a weekend. So I remember all you guys. So, uh, you know, 
Love, Rob, is meant to be multiplied, not divided. That's like my philosophy of life. There's there's love in your heart for everybody. Yes. Um, yes. Well, awesome. Thanks, everyone. Um, you have any shout outs, Rob? Don't worry about the war machine thing. It'll it'll fix itself up. Follow the golden rule. Play the game as you know as you would want others to play it with you. Yeah, I think if if in our games and in our lives we can hold on to that truth of treat people the way that you would want to be treated, I think that that's a good roadmap for us to follow. Well, awesome. Thanks for listening, and remember to always keep counter charging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Counter Charge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.